Hello, and this is Films for the Very First Time. Just wanting to intro the episode here as you're about to hear some very bad singing for about 15 to 20 seconds for our theme song, which is a parody of Feels Like the First Time by Foreigner. So uh, if you don't want to hear bad singing, just skip the 30 seconds button uh, and you'll be introduced to the episode proper. If you're open to hearing my terrible singing, uh, just keep listening. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Films for the first time. Films for the very first time. Hello and welcome to Films for the Very First Time with Casey and Jordan. My name is Jordan, and with me, as always, on this trip as we go forward is Casey McGeorge. Oh, how's it going, everybody? It's going good. So I, I think since this is our first episode, I'm going to quickly recap the rules, how this podcast works, in case if they didn't listen to the trailer. Um, but uh, yeah, so Casey and I have decided to do this because every time we would talk we would realize that there was some gap in other movies or tv shows even though this is called films for the very first time there's an option for tv shows and uh what we do is each one of us presents a movie or television show to uh the other person and uh that's that's how we go with it so if it's a tv show we're not really going to pick the pilot episode usually unless if it's groundbreaking or necessary for the story. What we'll do instead is pick one to two episodes that are like the best representative of the show uh, before we watch a TV show. In this case, we're watching a film. This is a film that Casey picked for me. I have not seen it. Casey has. So Casey, what movie are we discussing today? Today I chose the I don't know I don't know what it would categorize it as maybe a crime drama uh pulp fiction okay No man um I, I decided uh, we, we when we started we both have a vast movie collection right and then we both went back and forth with each other where we we're able to identify, we sent each other what movies we had, and we were able to identify what we've seen from each other's movie collections. And when you hadn't seen this one, I don't know, something about it just made me say, man, he's got to watch Pulp Fiction. Yeah, so tell, tell me a little bit about Pulp Fiction. All right, Pulp Fiction it was released October 14th of 1994, Directed by Quentin Tarantino, written by Quentin Tarantino, and Roger Avery. Uh, it was nominated for quite a few Academy Awards at the 1995 Academy Awards. Uh, it was nominated for Best Picture. It lost to Forrest Gump. Understandable. Uh, Best Actor by John Travolta, who lost to Tom Hanks for Saving Private Ryan. Or one of his movies, I don't know. He had a bunch of Oscars in a row there. Uh, it was probably for Uma, Forrest Gump then, right? Actually, yeah, it was probably for Forrest Gump. I don't. I just told you Forrest Gump was was yeah. Best it picture, probably so. swept. <laughs> uh, best actress, uh, Uma Thurman was nominated. She lost out to Jessica Lange. 
Samuel L. Jackson was nominated for Best Supporting Actor. He lost out to Martin Landau, but it did win Best Original Screenplay. Um, so it, this was this was one of those that came up like at Cannes Film Festival, and it was you know it it, it went crazy there. Um, it is unfortunately one of those that's produced by Harvey Weinstein. And it's one of those where um, Kevin Smith kind of has this issue right now where he wants to get the rights to some of his movies back. Uh, one of them in particular is Dogma. Um, they just had like a 20th anniversary or 25th or something for Dogma. And he wanted to re-release it and get it like on Blu-ray or like on HD uh, Blu-ray. But unfortunately, because the rights are owned by Harvey Weinstein... He has to purchase the movie from Harvey Weinstein. And with everything that he's gone through, that means he is giving Harvey Weinstein money. And it's not something a lot of people in Hollywood want to do. Understandably, he's serving time for sexual assault. He's a horrible person. But it's one of those they can't get the rights to some of their stuff back because he owns them. And the only way to get it back is they have to pay him. So it's kind of one of those double-edged swords where either he's going to own, you know, they own the rights or they sell it back to him because they have to pay him. Um, also, it was executive produced by Danny DeVito. I saw that. Yeah, in the I saw that today. in the credits yesterday. I was surprised. And I was like, wait, what? Danny DeVito? But it's pretty awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, interesting that he was one that uh, produced this. I saw that. I was like, whoa, it's interesting. I can't picture Danny DeVito as a producer. I don't know why. I, just, I, I would think he barely did anything, honestly. Uh, uh, he, he probably funded some money. Yeah, yeah. Um, another thing I saw real quick, uh, I think the budget was only $8 million. Mm-hmm. $5 million went to the actors and actresses. The rest of it was, you know, obviously used for production and everything. Um, it made his money back initially when they sold the overseas rights. At eleven million dollars, and then ended up making like two hundred million dollars at the box office. Um, so it was a very low budget film. Uh, it made a ton of money back. It made it, it kind of revitalized Travolta's career. It made Tarantino more of a name. It was one of Uma Thurman's big things. Um, it's the first thing I really remember seeing Samuel L. Jackson in. Um, yeah, Jurassic Park the year before I think was his big coming out party. Well, the thing was, I did like I didn't know who he was at the time, and didn't like. Now I can go back and look at Jurassic Park yeah, and see yeah, him yeah. sitting at the computer and be like, "Oh, that's Samuel L. Jackson." Just like I can go back to watching Pee Wee's Playhouse, which we we just lost Pee Wee this week. That's very unfortunate, and I can see uh, what's his name is Cowboy Curtis. Um, but like at the time, I didn't know who he was, right? But uh, yeah, so it, I mean, it it was. Very low budget film, and it made a ton of money back. Um, another thing, before the uh, before the MCU, uh, we have the Quentin Tarantino-verse. So, all of his films are basically in the same universe and are connected. Some characters are in different films playing the same... Some people are in different films playing the same character. Some... People have relatives because he has movies. He has, uh, like, Inglourious Bastards from World War II. 
uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood from the 60s. Django Unchained obviously went back to slavery times in the 1800s. Some people have relatives of them in these previous movies uh, that have carried on. And there's different things he carries through, like Big Kahuna Burger, Mm -hmm. uh, the Red Apple Cigarettes, various other things. So uh, before the MCU, he was one of the first to have the shared universe here. Interesting. I didn't know that. I didn't. Well, I mean, I knew that they took place in the same universe because I read that somewhere, but I didn't know if some of these. So some of these actors do appear again. There's a there's there's one or two actors because uh, he was also involved in what was it? Uh, Dust Before Dawn, or no, from Dust Till Dawn. Um, there's a guy who's a sheriff in there, mm-hmm. and he. Like, he plays the same sheriff in another movie. But then, like I said, there's other movies that he's done where um, Captain Koontz in this movie, which we'll get to later, uh, has a relative or someone in another movie who's actually related. Like, it's it's been said it's related to Captain Koontz from this movie. Um, stuff like that. So he, he carries, like, a family lineage on of different people in, Interesting. in his movies. All right, so uh, what did you think initially? What was your initial thoughts? Well, before we get into that, that, let's let's get okay. into where we were when this happened, right? So for me, uh, part of the reason why I've never seen this, right, is I was four, three. Oh, sorry, wow. I was okay. three when this movie came out. Yeah, you shouldn't be watching this at that young age. No, I shouldn't be watching this no, at three no. years old. My dad is not a fan of this movie, uh, neither is my mom, so I never grew up with it being in the household or anything later on. So just one of those things where it never really made it onto my radar. Like I hear, you know, see people talk about it, of course, but it was never like in the house for me to watch prior to streaming stuff. And it was, um, yeah, it just really like totally missed. Never had a reason to watch it until now, I guess. Yeah. Never did. No. And, uh, I mean, I honestly didn't know much about it except for Travolta and Samuel L. Jackson. And, of course, the Travolta gif that's now a meme. Yes. Him with his yes. Coat, you that know. is one of the greatest things that have come out of this movie. <laughs> I, and I, also, the, was... Samuel L. Jackson is a meme in this where people say, you know, the line of, I don't remember asking you, like, a goddamn thing. Yeah. Um, those have been used online, and that was really all I really knew about it. Plus, I knew like Uma Thurman was in it. I forgot Bruce Willis was in it. Um, so that was that was all very interesting. Casey, where were you at, and, and did you see this when it first came out, or is this something you caught up on later? So uh, it came out in '95. I was in my, I think I was in my starting my senior year of high school at the time. I graduated in '96, so. This came out actually a couple days after my birthday. Came um, out in '94, so, right? Um, was it October '94? Uh, yep. Yeah. Oh, so no, I was in my junior year going into. I was in, oh, okay. starting my junior year of high school. Um, I hadn't. Uh, obviously, it's rated R. I wouldn't have been able to go watch it myself. Although, in all fairness, in '94, '95, you probably, probably really easy been, to. Yeah. Yeah, it wouldn't have been hard. Um. I didn't see it until I was stationed in Korea in 1997. Um, after I joined the army, my first due station was at Camp Casey in South Korea. And, uh, 
it was one of those we had like a little movie rental place um down by where we did our shopping and everything on post so went down there i had a tv and a vcr i went down there and and picked it up and and rented it and was like wow that was still back in the days of the vhs tapes uh and i enjoyed it it was like yeah this is great i was 19 i think 18 18 years old wow yeah so i guess we can get into our general thoughts right uh the discussion of the uh of the film itself so like i said before tarantino is not for everybody uh-huh um he is an auteur he makes his own kind of movies right mm-hmm. not like anything you're gonna see from a lot of other people right um so i'm curious to hear what your thoughts are on your first tarantino experience yeah, and for people that are listening, you may not know us from our other shows, but we, when we recap stuff, we usually don't talk to each other beforehand to say, what'd you think? So, like, Casey and I pretty much jumped on <laughs> and almost immediately pressed record. So he has no clue on my thoughts on this. I watched it last night and uh, finished it around 11.30 p.m. And pretty much went to bed, woke up, and, you know, did a whole bunch of stuff, and now talking to Casey. And we're on different time zones as well. So Casey just woke up and he's rewatching. I had breakfast and just finished watching it myself. Yeah. So all the build up now is Casey has no clue on my thoughts here. I did not enjoy this movie. <laughs> I can understand that. It it hurts me, but uh, I can understand. <laughs> like I said, it's not it's not for everybody. Yeah, I mean, I just have some like if we're going through it and this is part of the reason i think i was never drawn to the movies i kind of knew the way tarantino is and i just kind of figured this wasn't ever going to be for me um uh for me i felt like there was no character worth actually investing in so like there i i couldn't like any of these people i didn't really care for any of the people and i'm sure that's part of the point or whatever he's doing but I, you know, I people will probably complain about the movie being out of order. That didn't really bother me. Um, I'm used to that kind of stuff for different things. But it was more of like, I didn't really care for any of the characters. Um, wasn't really sure who we should be rooting for, if anyone. And I kind of felt like the movie didn't really have a much of a point. Or like a plot, right? Uh, it is a lot of what people have called when I've... I, I looked up after this to be like, what do people see in this, right? A lot of people are saying that they like that it's like moments that are in between the exciting stuff. Or like that it's supposed to be these just conversations and all that kind of stuff. And I'm fine with talk-heavy movies if, if that's what it is. But there were some really bizarre scenes in this movie that I did not really care for and overly i felt like it was just really long um it's a two and a half hour movie that feels like a two and a half hour movie some some two and a half hour movies feel short i I think i told you this morning as well uh when i put it on when i went to max as it's called uh to watch it and you know i had the title screen and i was getting my breakfast ready right so i had you know 
was cooking breakfast and I brought my brought it over to my little table on the couch and I opened up Max and, and did the search for Pulp Fiction and I saw like two hours and 36 minutes and I was like, wait a minute. Like I, I have it on a couple copies on, you know, disc and I know there's like extra and extended scenes and some other stuff and I was like, this movie's two and a half hours long? I yeah. even texted you like, hey, man, we're going to have to move this back a little bit because I forgot how long <laughs> it was. Um, See, I looked it up beforehand. Cause, so yesterday, where we were at is I was like, I'm going to try to watch these on Saturday. So that way I'm fresh, you know, going into when we record. And um, we were invited to this like family get together, which was at like five. Um, so by the time I got out there, we left around eight. And I was like, by the time I get home at 830, like take the dogs out prepare myself yeah. i'm like it's gonna be nine o'clock when i start this movie and Oof. it's gonna be 11 30 you know when this thing finishes and it's pretty much exactly how it went but each time i paused it to like use the bathroom or get a snack i was like i still have an hour left of this <laughs> so so i'll say too this is also a product of you can tell this is like a movie from the 90s i think one thing i started to notice up until recently is movies started getting shorter. Um, like, really? I typically, feel like movies get longer. Well, typically in the 80s or 90s, movies were always around like the two-hour range, right? And then movies started going... Uh, like, I noticed movies started going down to like 90 minutes, 97 minutes. Like, they started cutting down to like an hour and a half. And I think now, I've, I've noticed over the last maybe five years or so movies are like these directors are starting to creep back up with their, their, their run times again. But yeah, I, look I, at Oppenheimer. Uh, it's like three hours. Well, even like Endgame and, and, and yeah, that's War, unusual those, for a superhero movie. Yeah. But, but still like, you yeah. know, when, when these, these directors are doing it, they, they, a lot of them will have a lot more freedom now. Mm-hmm. I think you'll still see some of your normal stuff that's around like the hour and a half, hour, 20 minutes, hour 40. But when you get a bigger name director that kind of has his own, has the leeway that they do, they're starting to make movies that are two hours again, two and a half Oppenheimer with three hours long, you know, stuff like that. Um, Quick side note on Tarantino, one of his last, one of the, one movie he did, uh, when he did Django, not yeah, Django Unchained. No, no. Um, God, what was the western he did? Uh, Hateful Eight. He Hateful did the Hateful Eight. Eight. Yeah. And when he did that, uh, he filmed it in seventy millimeter. He got a bunch of old movie cameras, like he they they dug up some old movie cameras and stuff like that. So one of the things he did was he did a seventy millimeter road show. That was only at select theaters, and it was based on how people used to go see movies. So it was. You had like stuff in the beginning and it was this grand presentation. It was done in 70 millimeter. The film looked beautiful. And then it had an intermission because back in the day, movies had intermissions and hateful eight was probably close to three hours again. Um, Plus he put some extra scenes in the 70 millimeter roadshow edition. So we had this intermission that came at a perfect point. So I was able to get up I went to the bathroom. I refilled some popcorn, got another soda Right, kind of got refreshed. So, and then like ten minutes later, went back into theater and was able to watch the second half of the movie. And it was a pretty, it was a pretty cool thing. Um, I know Oppenheimer. People are going crazy about the seventy millimeter version of that. And tickets for that online are bananas. 
because people are reselling them and everything. Yeah, I've never seen a 70 millimeter film. Is it really that groundbreaking change? Look, I'm going to be honest with you. Your eye probably cannot tell the difference between like a regular IMAX right. or whatever. I haven't even AMC. seen an IMAX movie yet either. We don't I have many around me. I think I've seen the AMC version of the IMAX. Um, you know, they're, they're bigger, better screen. Um, I, I don't think I've seen IMAX one either. Same thing. It's not, it's hard to find. And the tickets for those are really expensive. And the ones that they go for are like, you know, when they, I think they did a uh, dark Knight or uh dark Knight rises. They tried to do that one. There was some IMAX stuff. They're like, uh, I think gravity was one they, they tried to get a lot of people to go into IMAX, but tickets for those are like 20 something bucks a pop or whatever, if not more. So it's really expensive. That's crazy. Um, yeah. So also at the time, the out of order editing was kind of groundbreaking. It wasn't something mm-hmm. you saw in the nineties. Um, obviously now people are playing with not necessarily the editing, but the viewing of a movie and right, stuff. Right. And what is it? Uh, I know it's not a movie, but on Netflix, there was something, I forget what it was. Kaleidoscope. Where it's like it gives it to you in a random order. Yeah, kaleidoscope. Everybody's yeah. supposed to see, and everybody's supposed to get a different viewing experience. Each episode was named story. after a color, and then like your order could be different than what somebody else's order could be. So you could get episodes like orange, red, yellow, then blue, then green, then purple, then white. Yeah. You know, type of thing. While somebody else might get different ones in that. Yeah. Um, I did watch that, by the way. So it, it's. People are starting, you know, since then, people have started to do a lot of different things with, like, uh, even Christopher Nolan, when he did Memento, obviously, he played around with a lot of different yeah. things. That, that. that is my favorite Nolan film, by the way. Just shout um, out there. So, um, let, let's, let's, I, so this is one of my favorite movies. And honestly, I forgot mm-hmm. how good the movie was to me until, until watched I watched it, it again today. I haven't seen it in such a long time. This is one of those where it's it, it's one of my favorite ones. And I think I know why I haven't seen it in a long time. Probably because it's so goddamn long. Like, yeah. it, it, like I got to carve out two and a half hours to it. Like, it's one of those, like, I got to ramp myself up. It, it's, it's easier now because you can pause it, you know, and mm-hmm. I can go to the bathroom, it will. But still, man, like, I got to dedicate two and a half hours to it. I live alone. I don't even have a family. Or a dog I got to take out or anything like that. Like, it's just right. me. You know, like, I get it. You you got a wife and you got dogs and things. and Yeah. Um, but it, I, I, I like his movies and I like what he does. Um, like I said, it's not for everybody. And, and I get that. And I'm, I'm not... I didn't think you were going to enjoy this movie. But I thought, <laughs> I, I, I thought it would be good for you to at least see one of his films. Yeah, no, it's it's fine. Like, uh, we'll get to our ratings later uh, in here, but it was, uh, just kind of like at points where it was it was losing me. I didn't feel particularly gripped by any scene until the last scene when uh, the diner. Jules is is talking to Tim Roth's character in the diner. That was like that is the scene that I was like, oh, I'm actually finding myself glued to the screen here 
uh, you know, the other moments in this movie, I'm I'm almost like looking at my watch, like, all right, h- how much longer do we got here? Uh, some of them were, um, th- okay. There was a joke that I did laugh at, by the way, uh, that is early on. <laughs> The 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 Fox Wars Five joke? No, the French McDonald's, uh, what they call oh. stuff. And then when he asks about Whoppers, he's like, "I don't know, I didn't go to Burger King." That made me laugh. Uh, but a lot of the humor in this was just kind of like, uh, I don't know, not usually my type of humor, I guess. Um, th- when the foot massage part comes up, all I can think about is Tarantino's fetish at that point. Like, yeah, you know, yeah. <laughs> that took me right out of the movie. So, so one great thing I think you would even agree with about this movie, the music in this movie is fantastic. Um, like the score or like the songs they use? Both. I, I think just his, the, the score was good. I don't know where that little guitar riff from the beginning came from, but that thing is awesome, right? And I, you, you kind of heard it in a lot of other things since people have used it in so many things. But the 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 actual music they played throughout the movie, Al Green and uh, Cool in the Gang, uh, Son of a Preacher Man, um, whatever song it was. Oh, I think it's Chubby Checker from uh, when when they did the the dance competition and everything. Um, had the music they used, I think, was perfect. I just saw something too. Uma Thurman, I guess, apparently wasn't a fan of the song the the chubby checker song during the dance scene but tarantino like was told her was like just just trust me on this one it 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 it, it will it will work and to me it did it really fit yeah no i thought the music was good um the so she she didn't like the song or she just didn't think it fit the song the she didn't moment. she didn't like the song she didn't think the song mm. fit with the the twist that and, and with the dance they they were doing Oh, uh, okay. I guess I can kind of see that. I don't um, I, one surprise here was seeing Tim Roth like in the beginning uh, at the diner. Uh, that's uh, is it, we, just, a, we just we just recap we just recapped She Hulk uh, yeah. last year. Everybody on our Marvel pod, but uh, Tim Roth was in that, so it was funny that I was like, "Oh, this is some more carryover." We just finished Secret Invasion, and we he's get some carryover with Sam Jackson. He's a frequent collaborator with Tarantino. He's in a lot of his movies. Tim Roth, uh, he just started working with Leonardo DiCaprio and Brad Pitt more. Uh, obviously, Samuel L. Jackson has been in a few. Um, yeah, because he's in The Hateful Eight, right? Sam yep, Jackson? He, uh, Jackie Brown. Steve mm. Buscemi's in quite a few. Um, so he, he he does have certain... Uh, Uma Thurman um, has been yeah, known as... Yeah, she's in Kill Bill, right? has been known as his muse. Um, <laughs> so it's, it's, uh, he, 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 he works with quite a few people on a regular basis. Yeah. Uh, then did you know, I noticed Phil notice? Lamar too. He, he was the guy that gets his head blown off in the car, but yeah. Marvin, <laughs> we'll get to Marvin in a second. Did you notice the book ending scenes were a little bit different? I think uh, I had the, read that, like, what, the the, the woman in the diner, well, right, with Tim Roth, like, she says yeah. something different at the beginning and says something yeah. different at the end. And it's kind of, I guess they played with it as kind of a way of, like, different people's perceptions of 
like two people can be at the same scene and see or be in the same place and see something a little bit different and remember it a little bit differently. Um, you also can see Travolta in the background going to the bathroom. Oh, and I didn't notice that. No. In the in the in the be- you'll never watch it again, obviously. <laughs> but uh, yeah, probably not. In the, in the beginning scene when he's talking with Honey Bunny there, in the background you can see John Travolta's character walking to the bathroom that he later does in the end scene. Um, speaking of which, every time that dude goes to the bathroom in this movie, some bad stuff happens. Yeah, he's reading the same book too when he gets shot, right? Uh, than he is at the diner. It looks like but, the same book. But just in general, every every time he goes to the bathroom, something yeah, bad happens. Yeah, uh, Mia overdoses, right? Uh, yeah. Uh, what were the other times? So he, so we had when Mia overdoses. Mia overdoses. He gets shot. He gets shot, and then just at the end, right? That's three yeah. times. Yeah. But I mean, that's three times they show. That's a lot more than they show the average person going to the bathroom in a movie. Let's be yeah, honest. yeah. So, um. And at least two of them, he was he was taking a poo. Yeah. So uh, the other one, he was just trying to talk himself out of doing something bad. But um, yeah, I know. I saw somebody like speculating on why he went to the bathroom so often. I was like, he really only went twice. <laughs> like the the other time, he was talking himself out of actually uh, heroin use. Apparently, that is a side effect of of heroin use. Really? Is yeah, it can it it, it messes with your bowels. Well, I mean, also it's just. It, Look, he might just be a healthy guy outside of that, right? Like, if you're supposed to go at least once or twice a day, he, he was going... These are two separate days. Uh, the day he gets shot, right? And the day that uh, he's in the diner. So, uh, look, just just a healthy guy. But uh, <laughs> but then we see Mia go to the bathroom, and she's snorting coke in the uh, Jack Rabbit or whatever the place is called. What did you think of Jack Rabbit Slim's? I would eat there. I, I would eat there for sure. Uh, I would like, go there in a heartbeat, man. That place looked awesome. Like what they have, like all these impersonators. The, the the car that they're sitting in is pretty cool. It reminds me of a place when I go down to um, uh, Disney World. Right there's a place in Hollywood Studios called uh, Sci-Fi Dine-In, and where you go in there, they have like those '50s cars, and it's supposed to be like a drive-in type place. Yeah, and. Uh, so you sit in these cars at, as your table and then on the screen, they play like these trailers for like 1950s, like B sci-fi oh. films. It's really Attack cool. 50 foot woman stuff. Right. Like that. Yeah, exactly. Just stuff like that. And you're watching the, um, the stuff on there. Actually, side note, I went there once when it was uh star Wars weekends. They used to do this thing called star Wars weekends. And instead, they were playing, like, all Star Wars stuff on the screen. And then they had, like, Greedo and Stormtroopers coming around to your tables and, like, Jawas. It was really cool. Um, but, yeah, so it kind of reminded me of that. But this was a little bit more, like, it. they almost felt like real cars that were in there. You know, they kind of, like, yeah. shifted with their weight at times. It was pretty interesting. I would I would have loved – I would love to go to a place like Jack Rabbit Slims. Like, that place looked awesome. Uh Quick side note, uh, you, you've seen you, – do you watch Family Guy that often? Yeah, I mean, I used to watch it all the time, yeah. You, you remember the episode where he ended up getting the record, Bird is the Word? Yeah. The trash yeah. man. <laughs> I, I, although I kind of feel like uh, – I feel like Cleveland sometimes going in there where, like, because it's the 50s and I'd walk in and, and <laughs> that would kind of fit better. But uh, it looked like a cool yeah. place. I would love to eat there. 
And I would love to pay $5 for a milkshake right now. Yeah, I know. I was like, is this supposed to be expensive back then? Because <laughs> it's not now. Think back to 90. Okay, you were four. I can't... But yeah, no, like. Dude, back then, movies were like five or seven bucks or something. Like, so yeah, like a milkshake for five bucks would have been like ridiculous. That's true, I guess. I By the way, I still go to the movies for pretty cheap. Uh, I went last week to see Mission Impossible, and it was eight dollars and fifty cents for a matinee. Really good. Yeah, I've I've learned to use the matinees or like or the Wednesday cheap afternoon. Tuesday. Yeah, that kind yeah, of yeah stuff like that, where it's like, oh, I can go see this movie, and it's usually like a bigger movie, but it's six weeks old. And yeah, there's three of us <laughs> in the theater, so I can go see it. Great. Um, like you brought up the verb, the birth of the Travolta meme. I yes. forgot about that until I saw it and I had to rewind it a couple of times just to see it in its natural. It's like watching <laughs> an animal in its natural habitat. It was one of those like, it was like, Oh, that's where this came from. That's right. Uh, I was waiting for it when he, when he was kind of walking that way and had his coat over his arm. I was like, it's coming soon. Like this, this meme is going to be here. Another meme from a Quentin Tarantino movie. You probably did the Leonardo DiCaprio pointing at the screen thing. Yeah. Like, <laughs> true, true. Oh, man. But yeah, it, it's one of those, I forgot that's where it came from. And it's, you get so much use out of that. Like, I used it on a, uh, I, I think I used it on a subreddit for postal employees one time. Mm-hmm. Uh, about, like, when you're a new carrier and you're trying to find like an apartment in a new apartment building you've never delivered to. So you're just sitting there looking around like, where do I go? But Okay. Uh, Christopher Walken as Captain Kuntz. Yeah, I saw his name in there and I was thinking he would play a bigger role. I was actually surprised it was just this like flashback for Butch as a kid. This is when he gets his watch. Uh, I don't know if I'd want that watch. Like I know he's no. like five. Right, I get it. He's five. He's watching cartoons. Um, also, yeah, because what's the story behind it? It was in somebody's butt. So one, the set design for going back to like the seventies, there was yeah, awesome. yeah, big TV. The kid sitting like two feet in front of it with his his legs crossed, awesome. So I guess like his Butch's granddad had got the watch in World War One, went overseas, came back, right, passed it on to his son, his son, which was Butch's dad. Uh, when he went to Vietnam, he took the watch with him. Uh, I think he was he he died in the POW camp. He hid the watch up his butt for like five years. Before he died of dysentery, he get uh, as Christopher Walken Walken says, uh, he gave me the watch. Um, he hid the watch up his butt for two more years, right, and then comes back after he gets released from uh, the POW camp. And then finds young Butch and decides to give him the watch. Yeah, gross gross story there. Uh... <laughs> like I said, I know he's like five. I, I don't know if I want that watch, man. Like, it, I can get it because it, it goes back to like his granddad from World War One. but dude, I don't want a watch to spin up your butt. I don't want a butt watch. Like, No, thank you. Yeah, so we had that scene, right? Where And then right after that, they kind of cut to the part where he had just killed the guy he was supposed to take the fall in the gambling ring, you know, in the, in the boxing the ring. Um, right, so 
before that, uh, we saw Butch the first time. Yes, getting getting the money from Marcellus. Yeah, and then he has an interaction with John Travolta's character. Right now, if we cut back, it, this is one of those that I think is in a deleted scene, or I, I read somewhere like they filmed it, didn't use it, or didn't use it. But if you go back to John Travolta buying a heroin off of was it Eric Stoltz's character uh, in the bathroom? Yeah. Yeah, Marty McFly. He talks about... I forgot, yeah, that's Marty McFly. (laughs) He talks about uh, somebody keyed his car. It was Butch. Oh, was it? Yeah, there's a couple other things that are connected in here that they don't show. I think I saw him in a... uh, Like I said, I I watched some of the deleted scenes on a DVD back in the day or something. But it, it was Butch who keyed his car after that interaction they had at the bar and then he went to go talk to Marcellus Butch leaves and then ended up keying his car. Cause he, he realized like that was Travolta's car. Um, so yeah, he goes, he's supposed to throw the fight. Uh, that's what he was talking to Marcellus about in the very beginning. Um, we will get to Marcellus in a little bit about something. Um, he doesn't throw the fight, right? He killed a guy in the ring. I mean, Jesus, like, uh, he, and he didn't out. know, he didn't know he killed him until he was told he dips out the ring, I guess, runs back, grabs his bag, dips out the window, jumps into a dumpster. Um, how, how are all these people in movies jumping in dumpsters and not hurting themselves? <laughs> yeah. Like where are these apartments or places that just have, uh, like cardboard boxes and pillows in their dumpsters and not like TVs and bookshelves and various other things <laughs> that are like going to impale you. Um, True. Yeah. yeah. He, he gets in the car, the, the taxi with Esmeralda, um, Villa Lobos, uh, apparently just gets naked and throws everything out the window and litters uh, <laughs> from the, from the taxi. Like, dude, what? Like, can we, I'm not a big environmental guy, but I'm not just going to randomly like litter. Come on, man. Yeah. Well, I guess, right. It's life or death for him at that point. He's scared. He's going to get caught. He's ditching all of his, uh, identifying information. Yeah. The fact that he's a a boxer that looks like Bruce Willis. Like, yeah, nobody's going to (laughs) recognize. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he meets up with his girlfriend. Um, they have some interesting conversations there. Um, here's the question. The next morning he finds out he doesn't have his watch. Are you going back for the watch? Um, me personally, probably not, but I, I can see why he does, right? It's like a, it's a, it is an heirloom. I, I can understand why he did. But once again, I don't know if I want a butt watch. So right, this might right. be one of those reasons where I can just be like, you know what? Maybe it was It's finally out of my the... life. Uh, yeah. yeah. Like, <laughs> eh, it wasn't meant to be. I, I don't know. He, he gets it, you know, back without much incident uh, other than Vincent, right? But uh, 
yeah, I, I thought there would maybe be a little bit more problems get getting it. I mean, he does, you know, then run into Marcellus. And I was going to say, are we forgetting what game. happens after he gets the watch? <laughs> okay. But still, I mean, like, I thought there would be, like, cops at his house. I mean, look, he killed a guy in the ring. Yeah, he, I'm surprised a... the LAPD wasn't there, like, <laughs> yeah. to, to, to talk to this guy. Or, like, processing his... Yeah, instead it was uh, Marcellus's man. I'm like, how is that possible? The cops should be like, you killed a guy. I'm going to arrest you. Well, I mean, okay. I don't think they would arrest him because it happened in a boxing ring. Like, it was a legitimate boxing match, right? Like, I don't think they would arrest him for that. Like, I I think that'd just be one of those, like, that's unfortunate. But they kind of signed up for combat sports. And they know this is one of those things that can happen. Now, it doesn't mean they might not go talk to him and try and figure out what happened. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm also surprised Marcellus only had one dude at his house. Yeah, yeah. I guess he trusts Because Marcellus said he, if he much? went to Indochina, he wanted a dude coming out of a bowl of rice to pop a cap in him. So just John Travolta there probably doesn't make a lot of sense. Is it because he trusts him because of everything went fine with Mia, supposedly? Like, it seems odd. Well, okay. He trusts. He, he, they're two hitmen, right? He, he trusts his two dudes. And yeah, so, but I mean, Sam's retired, right? This all happens after the last scene where he's like on his way of yeah, bowing to out of the earth. Yeah, Jules is going to retire. Uh, so um, they don't have anybody else that could go with Travolta? I, I don't know. I mean. We know he's got a lot of people at his payroll, right? Like, yeah. But I don't know. He 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 literally runs into Drew, uh, Marcellus. <laughs> literally. Um, yeah. Okay, so this is one of those things. Once I moved out to the Los Angeles area, and I started noticing, like. As I'm watching some movies, there's some things I can see and I can either recognize like, oh, I know where that's at. Or I can tell it's filmed in like the Los Angeles area. Those apartment buildings that you saw in the first scene or the, the, and his apartment building, that is the most Los Angeles area apartment building. Like, like, and, and I, I like you people, I deliver to those right now. Still like those people still live in stuff like that. And I deliver to those. Uh, the pink box for the donuts that that Marcellus had. Um, that that is a Los Angeles thing. Uh, when you go to these donut shops, a lot of them have pink boxes. Um, and just as they're driving through, and, and I'm looking at some places, and I'm like, I I don't know exactly where some of these places are, but it's like I either have a feeling like I've been there, or I can recognize that, or I'm like, yeah, that is filmed within like the San Fernando Valley area. So yeah, they, 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 they have a tussle. They have a little shootout. Well, not really shootout. Cause Marcellus is the only one shooting, uh, that pawn shop. Once again, there's a lot of pawn shops like that. Just like on just a random, I don't know about the racism than the pawn shop. Like I can't tell if there's a lot of those out here, but I've delivered to a bunch of random pawn shops on streets like that, where it's just a little store, pawn shop has a bunch of random stuff in there um man that that that, that, that's just some bad choices by uh butch there to go into that place 
Well, is it? Uh, he survives. He gets out of there. He even saves Marcellus. That gets him off of his back. It seems like that was the perfect setup for him. Uh, okay. Because <laughs> if he shoots Marcellus, Marcellus's people still coming after him. I, I don't know. I feel like that worked out pretty grand for him. He's not the Mar- one that ended up in Marcellus's spot. Mar- Marcellus gave him a pretty good deal after this, right? We have to acknowledge that. Um. Okay. Two of the, to me, two of the best lines in cinemat, best and most realistic lines in cinematic history, are in this movie. Number one, are you okay? Nah, man, I'm pretty far from okay. Mm-hmm. Like, what else can you say after that situation? Yeah, like, yeah. no, you're not okay. You're probably never going to be okay. But yeah, like that. I, I, I. That tickles me. It's just a great line. Another one which we skipped over. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Yeah, that was a that was a shocking. Mo- well, I don't know if I say shocking. Once he had the gun pointed at him like that, I figured that was gonna happen. Watching it now, I can you can see him actually squeezing the trigger as well. Oh, like, can you? You know what's gonna happen? Yeah, like like it's one of those I've watched it enough, and I, like when I watched it today. Like you can physically see him squeeze the trigger, but the first, like it's kind of shocking the first time you watch it. You can you see the gun go back, but you're just like, yeah, whatever. But yeah, like just the way he just the way he says that. Oh man, I shot Marvin in the face. Like it's no big deal. Yeah, yeah. I get it. These guys kill people for money, so death is not a big deal to them in some ways. But he was just so nonchalant about it. And and who was Marvin to all these people? Because he's he is scared out of his mind in the place. Is it like is he like an informant for Jules or something? We 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 will get to that. We will okay. come back to Marvin. Um, here's a question: Do you go back for Marcellus? Uh, no, I I would not have. Uh, it worked out for him, but I probably would have just used the time to escape. I'll be honest; I don't know. It's easy to say. From a distance, like, yeah, I would go back or maybe not. But under the circumstances, like putting yourself in that situation, uh, you just got you just got in that car accident, right? Uh, you, you've been shot at. Um, you got butt stroked with a shotgun. You get tied up. There's a ball gag in your mouth. There's a dude in a gimp costume. On a clothesline in front of you. You managed to get out of that situation, right? 99% of people who decide, I'm out. I don't think anybody would blame them. Like, that that's pretty reasonable to be like, I'm done. I've had enough of the day. Like, this day needs to end. Uh, like you said, it worked out for him. He went out. And the thing is, the sounds coming from the other room are the freakiest thing you you don't know for sure what's going on in that room, but you have an idea. Uh, I knew pretty well. I'm not sure. <laughs> I'm not really sure if you want to know what's going on in that other room. And also, 90, 1997, the first time you see that, when he opens the door, you're like, sweet Jesus. Yeah. These actors will, will definitely put in some work. Um, yeah, that was a, uh, that was a scene I did not like in this movie. Uh, uh, it was very, very Graphic. weird. 
what graphic and weird turn of events like what so they just randomly end up in this pawn shop owned by a guy who's gonna call a cop buddy of his and they're gonna rape Mark oh he's not Ellison. even a cop he's a security guard oh was he okay yeah he's just a security guard yeah and then they're two racist dudes who like to rape people like yeah and then uh obviously with the with the sword that has a connection to another one of his movies um, yeah kill bill maybe yeah um I, I think, like I said, it worked out for Butch. Um, Marcellus gave him a pretty fair deal under the circumstances. Um, his two rules were very understandable. Number one, no one else needs to know about this. Yeah, I get that. That that's yeah, that definitely be rule number one. Uh, number two, you're you're gone. You leave LA and you don't come back. I I, I think we can agree on those. And he was already planning on that anyway. So really, yeah. the only thing he has to agree to is not telling anybody. I, I I I'm not even sure if I would tell a therapist about the incidents that day. Like that's that's one of those like you you could waterboard me and I don't know if I'd spill the beans on that. Yeah, one of the things um, you try to black out, like try to forget about it. I I know people know different things, but it's pretty convenient that Butch knows how to ride a motorcycle, considering um there's one there. Like yeah. <laughs> if my little Honda hatchback get crashed. And I end up in that situation, and I'm scarred for life. And I happen to walk out the pawn shop, and there's the only thing I have is the keys for a motorcycle. It looks like I'm probably walking, because mm-hmm. I, I don't know anything about riding a motorcycle. Might be able to start it up. I'm pretty sure there's like gear switching that you have to do. And if that's the case, I'd probably be going like 10 miles an hour uh, in first gear the whole time. And I'm not even sure if I'd be able to balance it, but that's just me. So before we get to Marvin, some other things, uh, we have the Bonnie situation, mm-hmm. which we see Vincent again, or and Jules. Um, we we get Ezekiel twenty five seventeen again. Uh, we we get Marcellus. Marvin gets shot in the face. Yeah, this is also where they pick up after. So at the beginning, when they're in marvin's place right yeah uh, it cuts when they're killing uh frank whaley's character um uh you know and then we see the return of that scene where then we see there was a guy in the bathroom who jumps out and starts shooting at them misses completely this yeah. is what wakes jules up to think it's divine intervention and then uh then we see what happens because remember at the end of the when it kind of fades out in that scene and then they we see bruce willis's character getting the money uh vincent and jules come in with totally different clothes and you're like what happened here yeah we see all of that in this situation okay two things number one is it just me or the dude in the bathroom look like jerry seinfeld he kind of um, did. He kind of had like the long face. Yeah, I, I, like the first time I thought I saw it in '97, I swore it was Jerry Seinfeld. Um, <laughs> I'm just picturing Jerry now. Like, uh, what's the deal with <laughs> these guys in this apartment? Uh, like I said, uh, Ezekiel twenty five seventeen makes its first and second appearance here, which is which is great. Which ended up on. Uh, Nick Fury's tombstone. Um, 
so once again, we'll, we'll get back to Marvin and something else in a minute. I, I, I don't want to forget about that. Uh, so Marvin gets shot in the face. They end up in, in Quentin Tarantino, Jimmy's house, right? Uh, with a dead body in, in the in the backseat. So they call up Marcellus and we get the appearance of the wolf. What did you think of the wolf? Yeah, this is uh, Harvey Keitel. Yes. Uh, he was all right. Uh, kind of like your standard cleanup guy that comes in in these type of movies. I would like to see more of the wolf or something else involving the wolf. Like, I'm surprised he didn't. If this were done nowadays, he probably would have got a spinoff. Yeah. Let's yeah. be real. Well, isn't Tarantino only trying to do like 10 movies or something? Yeah. Apparently, he said his next one might be his last one. But yeah. He also said that Hateful Eight was going to be his last one. Especially because, like, the, I think his first copy of the script ended up on the internet, got leaked. And That's right. That's not, right. He was not happy about that, which rightfully so. Like, yeah, you don't like that. That was pretty crappy of somebody. Um. Okay, who wears a tuxedo at eight o'clock in the morning? Yeah, it's kind of uh, yeah. Because one thing we got to remember too, right, is when they're about to knock on Marvin's door, right? It's like seven a.m., seven thirty, yeah, something like that. So yeah, yeah. this is still like eight a.m. Bonnie's getting home by 9:30. a certain time. Nine thirty. Gets home off the night the night shift of the hospital. Nine thirty, yep. right? So it's eight o'clock. It's somewhere around eight eight fifteen in the morning or so when all this happens. Um, also, how were there no cops at the apartment building where two dudes got killed? You had uh, the guy on the couch got shot, and then fifty six other gunshots. Between... Yeah, because they they waste the other guy. Actually, man. three people. Three people got killed. Yeah, three people died. How were there? Did nobody call the police? And was there no cops on the way? Like, Rough part of L.A., I guess they didn't. Maybe, care. maybe it is. <laughs> Some people just do tend to mind their own business. But damn. Uh, so yeah, we get appearance of the Hardy Kytel's character, the Wolf. He's your cleanup guy. Uh, it's in a place that's thirty minutes away. He makes it there in ten, and the next scene we see is nine minutes and thirty-seven seconds later. His his uh, actor is, is screeching up to the to the door uh they do some great cleanup in there uh clean up the car put the body in the trunk have some conversations which i enjoyed i used to be able to quote almost this entire movie at one point uh, really (laughs) yeah especially like especially seeing like these scenes and everything um yeah and that's how they end up uh in a UC Santa Cruz banana slugs t-shirt and some other dorky outfits as, as Jimmy, that Jimmy says there, but, uh, Jules lets him know, Hey, these are your clothes. So, um, yeah, true. We, we, we end up, uh, at a junkyard. They dispose of the body. They dispose of the car. Mm-hmm. Um, it's amazing how all these, these organized crime people have people who can, I have ways they can just get rid of like dead bodies and random cars and you know, yeah, like like like, like I don't know, I I I just can't imagine it's e- that easy to just get a car crush. Like, I'm sure there's paperwork involved typically, except for the wolf. Um, I just I, I it tickled me where he was taking notes. Jules Black, what's his name? White. Yeah, yeah. Uh. One body, no head. Like, 
it, it, it's some of those small things I, I see where it's just like, oh. It, yeah, and then he walks it, in. He's like, oh, you must be Vincent. And he points at, yeah. uh, you know, Travolta because he's white. And he's like, and you yeah. must be Jules. Uh, Samuel L. Jackson chose the Jerry Curl uh, wig. Apparently, Tarantino wanted him to have just a big old afro. So whoever did that on set had like a bunch of afros and somehow ended up with the one Jerry Curl wig in there. And Sam L. Jackson was like, this will work. And he, he chose the Jerry Curl wig. Um, now they end up in the diner with uh, Honey Bunny and Tim Ross character yep. from the beginning, which leads it all the way back to the That's pretty bold of Jules to, to, to pull the gun on him like that. Yeah, yeah, you know, but he was kind of at that point, I felt like, where he's like, this is, you know. That day's already been pretty messed up enough. Like. Yeah, yeah, it's his job, right? But also, he's at this point where he's thinking, uh, you know, divine intervention has saved me, right? So he he's kind of got that going for him, too. Um, But yeah, he just kind of has this talk and... and um what the the guy who owns the place is like the manager is like yeah let's not create any problems because you know he's worried that they're all gonna die which is of course uh, what you're worried about if you're in this diner the yeah if you're the manager of that diner you just want you just want to get out of here but uh this is this might be one of the most samuel l jackson movies of all time with the amount of uh mf bombs that he he, he throws out there but it's so great let's get to the briefcase Mm-hmm. This is probably one of the biggest MacGuffins in movie history. Uh, yeah, yeah, I know it's in Community, right? Isn't it? They have a whole like birthday party for Abed. Yeah, for Abed, <laughs> they they got like a replica briefcase. Okay, it, it uh, Tarantino even admitted it was it was used as a MacGuffin. I think I've read, I just read somewhere he was gonna have something else, but. Uh, it didn't work or whatever. So that's why they went with the briefcase with the light in it. And he didn't want anybody to see it. Um, there's urban legends that go along with this. Have you heard any of those? Uh, no, I don't think so. Okay. So let's flash back to the beginning, right? They go in there, they get the brief, uh, Vincent gets the briefcase out from underneath. And first thing you see the code to get in the briefcase is 666, mm-hmm. right? Okay. He opens it up. It's this mesmerizing orange light. Can't speak. Something has captivated Vincent beyond everything else. Fast forward a little bit. The first time we see uh, Marcellus, what do you remember seeing? Uh the back of his head is all I really remember seeing. Yes. We see the back of his head. And, and he like he's got like band-aid. a band-aid. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Uh, obviously, um, there's a shootout that nothing happens to them, so on and so forth. Apparently, the urban legend that Tarantino has denied is that Marcellus Wallace's soul is inside the briefcase. Um, apparently... When, if someone, and it's throughout lore, if someone were to see a human soul, it is one of the most beautiful things that you can see. People have been captivated. They, they, it can drive them crazy. You cannot, like, you lose the ability to talk. Like, it, it messes you up. 
right? Which would explain why Travolta or uh, Vincent couldn't speak. Why Tim Roth, when he opened it up, saw what it was, he asked, is that what I think it is? Yes. It's absolutely beautiful. Like, that's all he could say, right? Uh, that apparently the urban legend is that Marcellus made a deal with the devil or something. He was double-crossed. They were sent to go get his soul back and return it to him. And in turn, it was an act of God that stopped uh, Jerry Seinfeld from shooting them. (laughs) Because if you notice, the bullet holes were basically directly right behind where they were. So there's no way that they would have that would have been a, been feasible. Like, there's no way the bullets are going to pass through them and go into the wall. With the exception of, once again, you'll never watch the movie again. But if you watch it again, they made a mistake, and the bullet holes are in the wall when the scene starts. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, it's one of those, like, they made a mistake, and the continuity, there's a continuity error. The bullet holes are back there already. Um, but that, yeah, they were sent to retrieve his soul and return it back to him. And that's why they're going through so much. And that's why Jules has his epiphany, his moment of clarity, as he calls it. And also when uh, what's-his-name's character is shot when he's sitting in the chair after Jules gives his Ezekiel yeah. twenty five seventeen speech. If you notice when he's shot, there's a lot of bright light that basically comes from him. So that's either his soul leaving his body or that's because he's an evil spirit that you know, is being set free because of what he did. Um, once again, great uh, urban legend. Tarantino has denied all of them, but it kind of, it, it, it makes for good storytelling in that aspect. Yeah, I guess. Uh, <laughs> because, I mean, uh, that, that's a little over the top for me if it was his soul and all that kind of stuff. It's, you can't put a soul in a box. Um, Says who? Says how me. Do you know, how do you know uh, what the me. devil? How do you know what the devil or some other people can do? If you look throughout all kinds of stories, they can put s- souls and stones and diamonds yeah, but and I don't necklaces. Know. It doesn't and... really seem like pulp, pulpy to have like a soul in a in a suitcase type thing. Well, maybe it's in like maybe it's in maybe maybe it's in like a big gem or something that's in the briefcase. Maybe. Um, no, I, I, I always just figured, uh, that really whatever's in there is not really important, um, yeah. at all. Uh, I mean, like it's important to Marcellus obviously cause they had them go get it, but like nothing that would like, I didn't really care what was in the suitcase, uh, in the briefcase, for, I guess. For anybody who's listening, who doesn't know a MacGuffin is something, it's a term that, uh, is used for something in a movie that really serves no purpose. It just kind of drives the plot forward, but it has no actual purpose Yeah, yeah. in the film. Um, Hitchcock was a big fan of it. I think he even coined the term. Um, but like the Maltese Falcon in the Maltese Falcon is a MacGuffin. Most um, stories have them. I mean, uh, it, it's something that you have to go get in order to... Like every Indiana Jones film has it, right? Like every... Um, movie kind of has these things where we have to go get this item and then it's the 
it's the spurring on of the rest of the story. There's going to be stuff that falls out from going to get it. There's going to be all kinds of stuff that happens that maybe overall the, the item itself may not be important. And like you said, if, if Tarantino had kind of had trouble settling on what it was at first, uh, that makes me think that even more, it's just a regular MacGuffin. All right. Um, so that's the day in the life of two hitmen in Pulp Fiction. And they're random other characters. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of thought Sam Jackson be in this a little bit more than he was. I was kind of shocked that it he's, you know, it, that it really focuses on uh, Travolta's character for the first half of the movie. Yeah. And then we get the random Bruce Willis stuff. And then we get more Sam like Jackson. Like Christopher Walken. Travolta. Yeah. 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 Um, and it's, it's one of those things because it's, it's shown non-sequential. It, it kind of maybe skews that a little bit. I know there are people who've actually like on the internet have tried to put it in story order. And I don't even know if that film works that way. Mm-hmm. I think, I think to me it works better in this way. Like it, I've never watched it that way. I, it'd be maybe an interesting watch, but I don't know if I'm going to carve two and a half hours out to watch that in some sort of sequential order that, that's a lot yeah i'm not sure if i'm carving out two and a half hours again for this yeah i get it um all right do we do we want to do our ratings now is this is this what we want to do sure Are we good uh, to do this i uh for me out of five I'd... stars for everybody i just to clarify for everybody this will be out of five stars i go four four and a half um for me, I think just the fact that it's two and a half hours takes a little off it. Um, some things to be tightened up. It, it is one of my favorite movies. Um, but like I said, I just can't watch it that regularly just because of the length. All right. So it, I have been, I made a playlist or a list on Letterboxd and I've been rating, I'll be rating these movies as we go. I rated this one out of five stars. Uh, is what I saw I that coming. With that, <laughs> I saw that coming. Did you? I was I was between one and a half and one, but I I think I went with uh, one. Um, yeah, I just uh, it didn't really vibe with me. I, some things that threw me off was the Marcellus rape scene, um, the uh, Tarantino casting himself as a guy who's dropping the N word a million times was yeah. uncomfortable for me. Uh, then just like part of it, not really going anywhere in my opinion. And I know people say that is the point, but I like, I like a lot more. Like we, we talked about it with video games, right? Like I, I'm a big like story video game player. I like feeling like I have some sort of purpose, you know, I, especially when they killed off Travolta halfway through in Bruce Willis's thing, I was like, okay, that was like the only character I even knew in this whole movie. And he's dead now. Of course they bring him back because they did it out of order, but um, it was tough for me to find a character to really like get behind rampant drug use was a little off putting for me in the sense of like Coke and heroin and stuff. But yeah, uh, overall, one out of five stars from me. Anything else before I reveal my pick for you next week? No, no. 
All right. Well, uh, I will have our socials in the description. So if you want to disagree with me and say that I am totally wrong, you can reach them all in there. Uh, the email is haven't seen it movies at gmail.com. And my first pick for you to watch, I've been debating this the whole week, but I think I'm going to go with airplane. I just want to tell you both. Good luck. We're all counting on you. Uh, which is also on HBO Max or Max as it is now known as. Um, so if anybody's portable movie, if anybody's watching along with us, it is airplane. I'm surprised you haven't seen this one. Honestly, I am too. Uh, I love Leslie Nielsen. Yeah, because you you've have the Naked Gun, right? On, I love the I love the Naked Gun movies. Those are just ridiculously funny. Um, it's only an hour but, and a half too, so we're we're good. Well, it's also one of those. This one came out. I know it came out in the seventies, and it's probably just maybe it was a little before my time. Nineteen eighty, actually. Yeah, it's a little confusing. It says eighty on here, but I think it was. I always yeah, think of it as being the seventies. It's right at that turn of the decade where things are uh, still very 70s. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it's one of those, I guess, honestly, just it 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 just slipped through the cracks. Uh, I, I've heard nothing but great things about it, um, but just just never got around, never, never got around to it. I'll probably share this story next week too, but my wife will not watch this movie because she knows it features an airplane crash and she's scared of flying. So she will not watch this movie at all. Um, Okay. Which is a shame. We're going to tie this back to independence day. Robert Loggia, who played uh, the the Marine general, right? Mm -hmm. So what was, there was a movie, there was an airplane movie that came out in like a disaster movie that came out in the 70s Um, oh yeah this is uh this is what it's a parody of it is a uh what was it um well there's one in the 50s called zero hour airport 1975 airport yeah okay so when robert loja signed on to do uh to play his character right um they they told him uh, they meant to tell him to watch. They wanted him to play his character off of <laughs> Airport 75. They told him by accident to airplane? watch Airplane. <laughs> he almost pulled out of the movie because he thought Independence Day was going to be a parody film and he wanted no part of that. And he was highly <laughs> upset. But then they they realized the mistake and they kind of they they rectified it. But yeah, he almost he almost he ended he goes back and watches this and he's like the hell, the hell I'm gonna be in a movie like this. <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Um, yeah. So next week we'll be watching Airplane, um, which is a parody of Airport seventy five, which is based off of a book called Airport from. 19- 68 so there you go there's some inception i guess uh but yeah so we have uh airplane that of course stars uh uh leslie nielsen uh like you said um 
also stars Robert Hayes and Julie Haggerty and Peter Graves. So yeah, we'll be jumping into that movie next week. Uh, thank you all for watching and listening along. If you're watching the, the films along with us as well, let us know your ratings of the movie. If you haven't seen it before, or even if it's a classic favorite of yours, like this was for Casey. And I'm very curious to see how people will take to my Pulp Fiction disrespect. Uh, but yeah, so I'm, I'm eager to see how this all goes. I'm eager to see Casey's reaction to airplane and that will be next time.